For upcoming live shows, go to samtriply.com for all your links. That's samtriply.com. Come see us live, homeboy. Enjoy the show. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed. And a world-governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to Tinfoil Hat. We go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Are you ready to get your mind blown? The revolution will be podcasted. Yes, you know. You know it will. You know the revolution will be podcasted. What's everybody? What's up, everybody? Welcome to Tim Fall Hat. You know who I am. You know what I'm here to do. I'm here to rock. Joining me as always, man, the myth, the legend. He's done four sets and got a standing O in Salt Lake City, the man, the myth, the legend. Actually, in the place to be. What's up? It's not Xavier hard to Guerrero. make. It's not hard to make Mormons laugh, dude. dude they loved you. They They're like, it. Oh, man, it's a Mexican up there. <laughs> I ain't seen one of them before. They're from the future, okay? And it's my theory: Mexicans are advanced AI. Okay. Uh, had a great time, Salt Lake. You came out and rocked. Thank you so much. We have more shows coming up, man. It's not just that. We're not just in Salt Lake. We're live in the main room tomorrow night. That's right. October 22nd. It is Tinfoil Hat live at the Comedy Store. Eddie Bravo, XG, the wizard himself, Duncan Trussell, and Tim J. Dillon, who's blowing up right now, and myself, will be live rocking, talking conspiracies. Stand up and conspiracy talk, okay? And then after that, it's uh, Absolute Extract. Absolute Extract presents Comedy Chaos live at the Comedy Store. Russell Peters, Anthony Jeselnik, Andrew Santino, uh, Kelsey Cook, myself, will be live there. And that's right. And then if you love weed, you love vapes, you love everything, go to abx.org, use the promo code CHAOS, and you'll get 20% off of all your purchases, man. Flower, vape pens, you love those robot dicks? (laughs) Suck on those. They're real robot dicks, not these phonies, okay? These are transformer robot dicks, not GoBots robo dicks. You know what I'm talking about, Aaron, right? Aaron used to love to play with GoBots because he's from a poor family, okay? Real people love real G transformer dicks, and you can get that at, at uh, absoluteextractabx.org. We have, uh, we have the main room, and then we also have Vegas yes. coming up, right? Yep, Billiards. Backstage bar and billiards. It is uh, fear and adrenochroming live at the backstage bar and grills, November fifteenth at eight o'clock. Eight o'clock main room show. Those tickets are available at samtriply.com. So grab those because it's a small venue. It will pack out. It's going to be a party. It's, it's going to be a party. This guy's going to be coked out of his skull. No, not. Yeah, <laughs> going hard in the bank. Bring your cocaine to get high with a Mexican, okay? It's like There's this guy hangs Mexican out with 40 year olds on the road, and that's how it goes. And then he's like, hey, dude, I want a drink. We're like, dude, we're old men. We're going to get pancakes and talk about religion. IHOP loves us. IHOP loves us. That chick was wanting a little dick down. But we all go to bed. Nobody t- fools around with anybody. We're just businessmen on the road, okay? 
men eating pancakes <laughs> going to sleep while this guy goes on Bumble trying to get fucking Mormons, okay? <laughs> Guys, today's show is brought to you by our good friends at Blue Chew. Do you love Blue Chew, dude? Yeah. Dude, you I need love Craig. Dude, listen to me, dude. You know what I like? Fights. I like fighting. You know what I like to fight with? A rock hard boner, okay? Sometimes I know that shit's about to hit the fan, dude. You know what I do? I pop a blue chew. And I show up, and there's a dude I'm going to fight. It's like, oh, there's fucking Ryan, bro. Ryan wants to fucking fight? I go, hey, Ryan, guess what? Guns out, fun's out, okay? No fight. Nobody wants to fight fight. a dude with a rock (laughs) hard boner. And that's why I love American boners given to me by blue chew, dude. Blue chew. Go to bluechew.com and use the promo code. What is our promo code, dude? I can't believe you don't remember what our promo code is. It's very simple. Tinfoil. Okay? Go to bluechew.com. Use the promo code tinfoil. And, dude, guess what? You just pay five bucks for the shipping after that. Your first shipment is free. Right? I love boners. You like boners, dude? Yeah. You like sex, dude? Yeah. Yeah, well, bluechew offers a performance enhancing for the bedroom. When you like to last longer, dude... One chump pump, huh? Not this guy. I go hard in the paint. Look at this. Look at this guy. Hey, that guy goes this hard. This guy looks like he's the Al-Qaeda. He loves boner <laughs> pills, huh? He looks like the guy who dated Rihanna and sold all the che- uh, sell, sold all the ISIS, all their Toyota trucks. They like boner pills because they got a million wives. They're going to heaven, and they're banging virgins. They're going to need Blue Chew. I don't know if Blue Chew wants that sponsorship, <laughs> but let me tell you something. Dude, I love Blue Chew, dude. It's real simple. It takes a few minutes. Go to BlueChew.com, affiliate of physicians, and if you're qual- qualified, you'll get a prescription online quickly. No in-doctor no in-person doctor visit, no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew ships directly to your door in discreet package. You know, I don't even like a discreet package. You want everybody to know? I want a, pan, a, a, a fucking package that has little clown dicks on it, <laughs> letting everybody know the circus is in town, okay? <laughs> Blue Chew gives you confidence in the bed every time. You and your partners will love it, dude. You know what your pussy will get done? When, when you're done, when you take a blue chew and you're done pounding your girl's puss, when you go to Pound Town, guess what she's going to say? Smurf Town. No mouse. No moss. No moss. No moss. No more. <laughs> so that's right. Visit bluechew.com. Get your first shipment free when you use the promo code TINFOIL. Just pay $5 shippings after that. That is, that's bluechew.com. Promo code TINFOIL. Chew it and do it. Okay? Dude, how easy is that? Guys, the uh, the Patreon's on fire. The t-shirts are on fire. You can get all the t-shirts at tinfoilhattshirt.com. Uh, everything's on there. We're about to put uh, that shirt up there. The Unabomber was right. That's about to be up there. And then we also have uh, the new uh, How Once Upon a Time on This Flat Earth will be available after this. I'm excited for that one. And the one. Patreon's getting three hours of Patreon. I can't stop talking. I'm sober now. I can't stop talking to myself. So all I'm doing is like putting on content. If you want to hear the ramblings of a, a sober madman, go to tin, patreon.com tinfoil hat. I'm telling you, whether it's conspiracies now, on the record where I just call tech support and I just <laughs> tell them about bisexual lizard people, okay? <laughs> the secret side of the Mad Hatters, it's all there. I think that's our business, dude. That's it. Oh, yeah, and don't forget about good friends at BetDSI. Go to BetDSI, use the promo code HAT100, and they will match anything you deposit there up to $500. 
Basketball start. Football's getting good, dude. Raiders are three and three. Yeah, we took a pound the other day. Don't listen to that. And then we also have boxing, MMA, dude. Nate Diaz, best man on earth, is coming up. Make those bets, dude. Use the promo code HAT100 and they will double your deposit. So go support them and we'll support you. They support the show, our longest running sponsors. And that's the deal. Uh, I'm excited about having this guest on. Dude. Uh, he's part of the greatest band, one of the greatest bands that ever, ever perform. He is, uh, I love them, but I, well, some of my favorite, favorite things I've ever done, some of my favorite concerts ever is going to see this man and his band. Please welcome to the show, the one only, from Public Enemy, Professor Griff. How are you, boss? Greetings. I don't know about the boss part, but I'm doing all right. How you doing? Hey, dude, you're a boss in my, in my world, dude. I love... Public Enemy. I love everything about Public Enemy. I thank you so much for coming on the show, and uh, we appreciate you spending a little time with us, man. Uh, oh, good. Appreciate you, man. Well, I just want to tell you that Public Enemy, in my opinion, this is where I kiss your butt, okay, uh, <laughs> is the probably one of the most underrated bands in the history of music. Uh, I find that Chuck D is probably one of the most underrated lead lead men in a band of all time. He does not get the credit and your band does not get the credit for how much they've done for music. So I really want to appreciate it. I've seen you guys like three times. Each time is an amazing, uh, is an amazing show. Uh, people get rocked. Um, I want to all talk right. to you. Where, where does, where, and where, where, do, where does public enemy begin? Where, what's the beginning of public enemy? I think I think the beginning the beginning of Public Enemy lies in the spirit of revolution as, as far as the people are concerned. I think that's where Public Enemy begins. It doesn't begin with beats and rhymes and hip hop. I think hip hop was just used to facilitate a um, a movement that was just basically laying dormant, and some brothers who got together and refused to go along with all the BS that was going on. So we decided to do something about it about it, and. We just said hip hop is that vehicle, so we we set we set it in motion. Um, some brothers with the same uh, idea, and that was spirited enough to speak truth to power, you know. And we did for sure. Now, when Public Enemy started way back, it kind of started with you, you and Chuck D being taught by Black Panthers in scum, summer school programs. What was that like? Oh wow, that was very very exciting because it was ex Black. Black Panthers on the campus of Hofstra University um, there on Long Island. And, um, you know, we didn't know too much about the struggle. We just kind of figured we was born in our 60s. So by the time, you know, we got around to understanding the Black Panther Party, the Black Panther Party was, quote, unquote, on its way out. So the ex-Black Panther Party got together and uh, decided to teach some programs in African drum, language, um, arts, martial arts, and um, social skills and some other stuff. So we took advantage of that. Well, my, our mom and dad took advantage of that and enrolled us in the program. Myself and Chuck Dean. I think Flavor Flav went also one or two summers. How long did you guys know each other before you guys started going? Were you guys all together the same neighborhood and you guys all went together? Did you guys meet there? How did you guys all meet? Well, you kind of figured we was like eight, nine, and ten years old. So it wasn't <laughs> it's not like we had cars we can go hang out <laughs> right 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 
it, wow. it, it was really really our parents what program they decided to put us in. So and right. Chuck's Chuck's mom, um, being a beautiful, radical woman she is, and my mom being one of those pillars in the community, decided this is where they need to be to get that discipline. That's wonderful. Tell me about your time in the army. I know that was had a bit of a big effect on you. You know, we talk a lot about how the army right now. I'm I'm 100% believe that the U.S. military is being used as the stormtroopers for the international banking cabal. Uh, I think you know we've seen a push to where uh, they you know through free trade they've taken away work from both rural and inner city. We don't make anything anymore. So there's and then obviously the flooding. Of uh, of p- neighborhoods with drugs for, uh, in the eighties, we saw it with crack, and now we're seeing in rural uh, cities and counties with heroin uh, being flooded in by the CIA and all of them. And that now they're pushing us, pushing you into having two jobs. Basically, you either join the military or you can go to jail. What was your experience with that whole situation in terms of being in the military? Well, my thing is, I don't think at that particular time I looked at it as uh, as uh, either I go to the military, stay on the streets, hustle, do whatever, go to jail, or I, I, I didn't look at it like that. Uh, I had a determined idea, and my determined um, idea at that particular time is to go in the military and get the training I need to come back, back out on the streets uh, and, and set this shit off. <laughs> that was my... To be honest with you, that's just what I thought. Uh, some spook who sat by the door, uh, kind of stuff was going on in my mind. Um, I never thought in terms of, quote unquote, defending this country, because this country doesn't defend black people. So I never thought in terms of going to the military to go abroad or, or to defend America. That was just, that just wasn't my thinking. You wanted um, to get training, too, for, for when you got back to kind of defend yourself and your, your, your family and your people. Um, more, more so than uh, myself and my family, more so the community. Um, we came up under, uh, under uh, the tutelage of the Black Panther Party, so we were community-oriented. So we thought about the community. And in, in most cases, we put the community before anything else. So um, everything was about the community. So I went in to get the training to come back. And then it, it led to me... Uh, training the uh the s1ws um and, and, and a couple of other organizations yeah so you know we've we we on this show tim foil hat which we're so a blessing you would come on our little show um you know we talk a lot about like what is going on in like i believe the south side of chicago uh it's and you know what's going on in baltimore right now that you know we see this infighting of guns and uh you know with the, the, these mash these shooting drive-bys all that stuff um but the question is where is all where in your opinion are all these guns coming from we hear stories we've seen gang leaders put videos out on on YouTube where they talk about how like just vans will be uh vans will just be there with guns full of ammo and then we kind of see what's going on in Mexico right now where these 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 uh the cartel uh, the cartel and that's all fast and furious guns you've seen the guns they have they where don't... Obama got busted Mexico with... don't have factories making lo- 
launch grenade and shit like that that comes from here yeah. that got sent over there through yeah. Fast and Furious and how they like they, they happen to show up what was your when did did you and if I don't know if you think this at what point did you realize that maybe there was something somewhat a little higher influencing what's going on in your neighborhoods well I think early early on when you when you are, are under those individuals that are taking their time, taking their time to study the domestic and the foreign policy of the United States of America. We just didn't go to summer school. I mean, we just weren't in summer school. We were, um, uh, we were under the tutelage of men and women that wanted to defend the community. And this, there weren't fly by night kind of individuals. Uh, the Black Panther Party, most uh, uh, of the members of the Black Panther Party were young. They were studious. Um, Contrary to popular belief, most was in college. And these are the kind of conversations that were taking place every single day um, when we went to the African-American experience. We affectionately called it the experience. So early on, I knew something else was going on in America. At that particular time, it wasn't necessarily the guns. It was the drugs at that particular time. You're, because you're talking about the average person making a certain amount of money are not able to afford the sophisticated weapons and the sophisticated drugs that ended up in the black community. There was a gentleman by the name of William Cooper. I'm sure you're familiar with his book, Behold a Pale Horse. Yes. William Cooper wrote in his book, the government will encourage the manufacturing and importation of firearms for criminals to use. This is intended to force a feeling of insecurity, which will lead the American people to voluntarily disarm themselves by passing laws against firearms, which they're doing right now as we speak with these false flags and causing these things to happen in America. The uh, American people are crying out, we need to do away with automatic weapons. But they're using drugs and hypnosis on mental patients in the process, in the process called Orion. The CIA inculcated um, the desire in these people to open fire on schoolyards, movie theaters, and alike. And this is what you're getting now in America. But it was already written about by William Cooper in his book, Behold the Pale Horse. It says the middle class is begging for the government to do away with the Second Amendment. When you are, uh, I yep. don't know if you're familiar uh, with Killer Mike, um, the rapper. Yep. He, he's a uh, wonderful rapper. He's in um, Run the Jewels. And he, during these shootings, uh, defended the NRA. Uh, and the right to bear arms. Now, I don't know if you saw that interview or if you have any opinion on that. What is your take on the First Amendment and where it applies to the black community to to versus the United States as a whole? Well, let's 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 understand this. First of all, I don't necessarily give my opinion on what Killer Mike say, T.I. say, David Banner say, or anyone else. Those men are able, strong enough and able to stand on their own two feet and back their own words up. I rarely do opinion. If I could uh, go into a deeper study or sit at the feet of the elder to extract some wisdom from them to talk about a, a, a valid point, I will do that. I rarely kind of discuss opinions because, as you've heard the saying, opinions are like assholes. Everyone has them. <laughs> You understand what I'm saying? So, you know, I don't get into the whole 
idea of an opinion. As far as the constipation of the United States, I mean, Constitution, excuse me. That was a Freudian slip. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, if America would stand by her own rules, regulations, laws, uh, Constitution, and amendment to the Constitution, we would be a lot better off. All right? The First Amendment of the United States Constitution is to prevent the government from making laws which are... Uh, which respect and establish our religion. Now, if we're an established people, then why is it that we have to have, and we're supposed to be Americans, why is it that we have, a, have to have, have amendments to a constitution that's supposed to protect black people from the beginning? Why would you have to amend something like that? We don't have to amend the constitution for white Americans, for Italians, for Irish people, for Jewish people, for whomever. Why do we have to do it when it comes to black people? I, I, I agree with that. Now, I want to get into, and I would like to talk some more about public aid, but I want to get into, is, is it groups or are, 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 is, is the battle between color or is the battle between economic status? You know, when I, when I look at like gangbangers, right? And I think these guys are in a survival mode of gangs. Maybe not gangbangers, but in gangs, right? So you have these guys who kind of click together in a desire. Because in my opinion, and this might, and, and I, I am more than willing to hear your, your opinion on this and, and where I could be wrong. If you even look at someone like in an Aryan race gang, right? Or, or you know, in a white supremacy gang. And the, the, that name to me is, I, I hate white supremacy. I don't, I, I don't know how you're illiterate on EBT cards, you know, dating your cousin and you're a white supremacist. But if you take a look at like what their foundation is versus let's say a, uh, uh, someone from a gang member from Compton, I think if you sat them down, you go, what, why are you doing this? I think what they would say to you is, this is the only hope I have, is to join this group, which is in its weird own weird way, its own little corporation. It's a street corporation. And they join this corporation because it gives them a support group, family, a means to make money, uh, uh, someone who's backed them, someone who's going to tell them it's going to be okay. I know white supremacy is something we don't like where you're like, okay, I'm better than these people. But it, maybe if we should get into rednecks, right? Hillbilly rednecks. Like, are they, are they really against each other? Or are they really in the same social economic level that they have probably more in common they do than with a, 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 a Michael Jordan and, and a Steve Jobs and a, uh, you know... The guys who run uh, Elon Musk and all them. Am I am I really off on that, or is there maybe something to that? No, I, I think I think you're not off, but there is something to it. Now, when you say are they against one another, who are you talking about in particular? Well, I'm saying like if you look at like gangbangers versus let's say uh, biker gangs, or I, I mean, like I could say white supremacist. I just feel like that taints the conversation. Because I, I don't care. I'm going to say white supremacist. If you look at these poor ass white supremacist people, and they're all talking about white people, white people, but in the reality, they're really just talking about how they feel ha they have no hope, and they join these groups because they have right. no help, 
hope of any, they look at their status in life, born into a world of shit. Like, you know, like I hear a lot of people talk about white privilege and I'm not saying it doesn't exist. What I'm saying is like when I go, my mother's, my mother taught in upstate New York and she would come home, talk about how these kids, all white kids came to school with dirty clothes, dirty underwear, no money for food, drug addicted parents. And, and when I hear these, and and we're talking, I see these people on TV on MSNBC and these are all kids who've gone to Ivy league schools and, 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 you know, and they're white and they're talking about white, white privilege. And I'm like, these kids have nothing, but they get us to fight over these color lines when I'm like, is it color or is it economic status? Well, I think, I think it's, 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 it's both, but it's a, it's a lot larger than just money and color status. Um, yeah, because the poor whites suffer a lot of times with those of us that are on the level you know, that, that we're on. You understand what I'm saying? Um, and the powers that be, they don't care about the poor whites any old way. But you can't tell that to the poor whites because the poor whites think they're the ones, quote unquote, superior over everyone else. Are you following what I'm saying? Yeah, well, I, I, I agree on that. They're misguided also. So the poor white needs to be taught. That the whole idea of this race construct come from came from a people that's four or five uh, pay grades above them, and it was something that was put on them, as opposed to them actually understanding and um, and forcing on black people. Um, and this is a real dynamic, and I think poor white need to understand that they're not running this. It's someone that's controlling the Democratic and Republican Party, and that's a real gang that we should be talking about. Our poor whites are suffering also. And these are the same poor whites that misunderstand black people and ignorantly follow Donald Trump. Trump, excuse me. That's another Freudian slip. I'm sorry. (laughs) 46 46 minus one. Donald Trump. Yeah. So they got to understand the dynamic in which we're dealing with. um, We've been set upon one another in this proverbial chess game not knowing our position on the chessboard. So we need, we need to understand that and understand it quick because we're set, we're set on one another and we're set opposed to one another uh, with, a, with a serious ignorance, with, with, with lies being told. The average poor white don't understand black history or black people. They just go along with what, they, what they've heard from other people. So when we sit poor whites down and get them to understand the plight of black people, they begin to see, wow, you probably have similar struggles like I do. And this is the thing that the Donald Trumps fear. You understand why he's waving the fag flag of white supremacy. And I think and I think it's sad. There's a commonality in us, but then again, there's some distinct differences that we shouldn't fight one another over. All right? And I think that's a very real dynamic. Because as soon as we put on some hip-hop, we invite white in. Everything, everything seems to be fine. When we open up our culture and invite white people in, everything seems to be fine. It's when other people want to manipulate, come in, and control the culture, that's when there's a problem. And we start having issues like cultural appropriation. And this is when we start having issues. I couldn't agree more, man. You know, uh, I think that people, I think Americans, there's some very... Um, 
there's some very trusting people in this t- in this country, and they get lied to through the media and all them stuff. You know, for the longest time, they blamed blacks for crime and all that stuff. While you know, fucking lizards in suits it, it were bl- robbing them blind through fucking Ponzi schemes and all this shit. But they, you know, they they worry about the you know the the black crack dealer on the corner. But it's like they got these pharmaceutical companies on every right. corner in CVSs getting their kids hooked on opium. And then mm. now we're ODing. And like when you were in the military, I don't know where they sent you to serve, but was there any moment did you go, I mean, what are we doing here? Why are we here? Why am I serving to, uh, I know that you didn't join to protect your country, but under the guise that most people do to protect the country. And we're over here doing stuff that makes no sense. Why are we here? Was there any moment like that for you in the military? Oh yeah, that's one of the reasons why I got out of the military. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was that moment that I said to myself, "Okay, um, why are we fighting?" At that particular time, I had a, a more narrow view of things because I'm like, "Why am I, as a black man, fighting for um, fighting for America, and America refused to fight uh, for me or give me any kind of uh, rights? Every single right that I've ever seen black people obtain, we had to, uh, we had to fight." Uh, and bleed in the street for. And even when my dad and uncles came home from the war, they still didn't get benefits. So I was like, why am I going to fight? Yeah. Fight who for what? So it's like, no. So I started looking at different alternative means and methods, man. I said to myself, this is not going to work. <laughs> this is not going to work unless, um, yeah, unless black people have some land that we can call our own so we can carve out our own destiny. This whole idea of fighting America's wars and we come back and we treat it worse uh, than animals in the streets of America, that's not that's not going to work at all. So I got it early on. After your, the military, after your dad joined... Military and I got out. That's the reason why we formulated public... One of the reasons why we formulated public enemy. So I wanted to, uh, do you have a question about Yeah, I was going to ask him. Uh, after your parents, after your dad came back from the military and you told him you were going to join, did he think it was a good idea or what did he tell you? Oh, definitely didn't tell my dad I was going to join. Okay. No, that was not And my dad had passed away prior to me going into the military. So you, you went in there, you, he, he kind of told you to go in there and get the skills out. You instantly knew that that was, that was a goal. Dad never gave me any instructions. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> and, oh, he didn't tell yeah. his dad. So yeah. I, I want to get into, because I, I don't know about you, but I think one of the greatest times in music was the 80s. Uh, or more particularly, the end of the, the, the 80s leading up to the 90s, early 90s. Um, there was an explosion in rap. Well, it was called rap now. Now it's called hip hop. I don't know if there's any difference in your view. But, you know, <laughs> well, it's my culture. Right. I think I should know the difference. See, well, the problem here is we invite people into the culture and they shit on the culture. But I understand your position. You are a host and you're doing an interview and you are what you have to do is pull this information out of me. So I respect that. And there is a difference between rap and hip hop. But let's go. Let's go. What is the what is what and, and dude? I, I'm thankful you haven't. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm just asking the so questions that I would like to ask that I think people would like to hear on the show. In your opinion, 
what would be the difference between rap and hip hop? Well, A is not my opinion. This is something that we set in motion some time ago, being part of this culture called black culture and the subculture called hip hop. Uh, there is a difference between rap and hip hop. Hip hop is high infinite power dealing our people. Hip hop is serves as the umbrella. Up under the umbrella of this thing that we call hip hop are four fundamental elements in which we've added on the fifth element, which is knowledge yourself. So it's breaking, break dancing, you might call it, all right? Uh, <laughs> drumming, MC. <laughs> I'm cool with it. And so, yeah. So this is part of, this is a subculture, all right? This, this is a subculture that we call hip-hop, and this is how we pass on vital information from father to son, mother to daughter, all right? And information that we need to pass on from the different communities that, are, uh, that, that black people have. So when we look at the, 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 the hip-hop culture, I, I, I'm going to, you, you feel in what, what you think is it, but I, when we go from eighties, which I, I was, I, I grew up on Motown. My father, while everyone else was listening to Led Zeppelin also, I was growing, I was listening to the temptations. My father loved Motown early. So I, I very quickly went into loving run DMC and all those early, early rap stars. But then we saw a transformation from what was early rap, which I felt was like uplifting rap, to what we see was crime rhyme stuff. Um, maybe I'm wrong, and maybe I'm overstepping my point, but what what happened in there? Where do we go from one way to the other? <laughs> Greedy white banksters came in, manipulated and tore the culture apart, and put a price tag on it, and put a label on it. <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> no, I couldn't agree more. I think it was at the highest levels that the people at the I, I think there was, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, and I have no problems with that, that there was a, a, a process in which uh, uplifting music was pushed aside, crime rhyme was pushed, privatized prisons, and then flooding with drugs. And all that was done purposefully, in my opinion, and I could be wrong, and I maybe I'm overstepping myself, that sure. to destroy the black family union. Exactly, I was I was getting to that. Um, they they looked at an opportunity to now finish the job, so to speak, and every president that took office when hip hop was alive and well from its outstart with Reagan, even prior to him. So right now, every president that has taken office had a special agenda to deal with black people. And some of the things that may have came up, i.e. Colin Kaepernick, you think may have nothing to do with hip-hop, but it has a lot to do with hip-hop. And it has everything to do with destroying black people and destroying the black family. Have there, uh, have there been people in the... I, I always say, man... That with some, that with groups, sometimes the killer is within. And that as part of it. Now, obviously, the, the executives, the politicians, they're, they're all white people. But 
are there people complicit in helping within the black community of helping get this message across? Are there, they- there, there are black people that are complicit um, in the destruction of black people, of course. Like Yeah, they're called Negroes. Shit. <laughs> they're called sellouts and traitors. That's what they're called. You know, we've had Rick Ross on our show a long time with the original Rick Ross. The real real Rick Ross. And he was, I enjoyed talking to him. But as I do this show more and more, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful for him because I I appreciate anybody who comes on the show, but sometimes I wonder why this man is kind of revered when when he is part of this this process to flood. The inner cities with crack cocaine. We're at the point where he's saying he's making a million dollars a day doing it. What are your thoughts on that whole thing? Well, my thing is you're absolutely correct. I think um, black people went through a period in hip-hop where everybody wanted to be Italian. Where everybody <laughs> wanted to... Come on, now. you laugh, but it's part of, it's part of the history of hip-hop. Everybody had Italian names and everybody was part of the mob and the mafia and everybody wanted to kill people and everybody wanted to bring drugs in. You understand what I'm saying? We was just imitating and, and looking at America and what America was doing because we thought that was the way. So so hip-hop emulated it uh, to the point where we ended up in jail and it gave birth to the Rick Ross. And we, and we have to understand that. Black people don't own a goddamn thing in America much less a fucking plane and a boat to bring in some drugs from somewhere. For sure. Help me out if I'm wrong. Oh, help me out if I'm wrong. Nope. I think you're, I, we've seen, uh, we've seen that the CIA is completely complicit in this. The CIA, both in my opinions, runs uh, the drug trade and they run the law enforcement that's supposed to quote unquote stop the drug trade. They, they get the drugs into the cult into the country, they sell the drugs to finance their black ops, and then they arrest the drug dealers as a show of, look, we're trying to stop it, and then they fill their own prisons with the people that were selling their product. They make a dollar the whole way out. I mean, how do we see in Mexico right now with the basically the government of Mexico bending over to these drug cartels Who's who's supplying the drug cartels with guns? Who's who's shipping the? How do you get drugs into the country if you're supposed to be at the number one defense of in the world that we spend so much money on? How do they get in? Well, because the people who are supposed to protect us from the drugs are the ones making money on the drugs. Right. Exactly. So so, so now here we are caught in between. How, how do you do that? So where where do you go? What do you do? Or do you, like a Bumpy Johnson, take advantage of what's going on in America and say to yourself, you know something? I got to go for what I know. I got to be able to survive. Like, what do you do? Yeah. I mean, like, it goes back to what we're talking about. It's like, how do you pay? How do you feed your family? How do you take your, how do you? Well, imagine back then you used to sell weed and you went to jail. Yesterday I went to that little cafe. Everyone's smoking weed. There's people in jail right now that are caught for Thank weed you. cases, and I'm literally smoking weed in this cafe. It's expensive as fuck, bougie as fuck. There's people wasting $80 on like a gram of weed, and no one gives a fuck while jail, while people are in jail doing hard time for bullshit while, I'm, while they're smoking, acting like, oh, this is the new cafe type of shit. 
Well, I, I, I said as soon as they legalize marijuana, let's now, second step after you legalize it, let's go to the prisons and let the people out that you locked right. up for having a couple of roaches in their ashtray in their car. I don't think anyone should be in jail for anything other than violence and stealing. I mean, like, you know, like, and high-end stealing, too. Like, like people like who steal. Banks? Yeah, well, I'm, the I, bankers? I'm good. I, I root for bank robbers. <laughs> you know, I'm like, get it, get it, get it. But I'm talking about, <laughs> I'm talking about people who steal, like, people's, like, retirement. You know, like soup motherfuckers. That's what I'm talking about. Who should be in jail for that? You should. We. You should not be doing. I mean, like drugs and prostitution are poor people crimes. Because you, we said here on the show before, we have stuff in California called sugar dating. I mean, it's so prevalent that they advertise it on on billboards. And who are those? Those are rich girls. Those are girls from rich people who are basically hooking, and they go to jail. So why well, my thing is, I think, I think the number one violation is kidnapping and, and rape. Yep. Uh, the theft, yeah, I, yeah. You just have no sympathy for me. Yeah, if you if you if you molest a child and that kind of thing, I just have no. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get into that too because I think there's a lot of this prevalent. I want to talk into so so we see this time. I think it's I like I think towards the end of the '80s, early '90s, we see a kind of shift. And I saw it like, I remember when I saw Britney Spears on uh, Rolling Stone magazine and I go, that's not a good sign, dude. That's a, cause that's a sign that it's, it's, we're losing art in my, in my opinion. Maybe, you know, Professor Griff, you might say that happened before that and I'm open-minded to that as well. But that's a sign that corporate media is completely cr- controlling the arts. And I, as, as a member of Public Enemy... Did you see a shift in maybe the amount of traction that you were getting in radio, moving from your positive message to this crime rhyme stuff with NWA and stuff like that? Was there a, a shift? Well, there, there was a shift, but I think you're looking at it through a different lens than we were looking at. It. Okay. When we started, when we started to see the shift, we started noticing the fact that. Uh, we were being played more, but we're being locked out of our op- uh, our uh, availability and our opportunity to go into the prisons. Okay, so we got more popular on the radio with the people. Then we got less popular with brothers and sisters that was locked up in prison. Um, less access to the cultural centers around the country. Less access to the real people in the street. So, yeah, it was it was some like a give and take. We never thought that um, the whole of America would embrace some black dudes from, from Long Island, New York, speaking truth to power. We never thought that. Not at all. Our first, our first tour we went on was with the Beastie Boys. It was in front of all white audiences. When so we... to, think white, to think white America would come around now, and then we started to notice it wasn't the young whites. It was the older whites that didn't want public enemies' message out. Now, did so we said, oh, yeah. okay, now there's a difference. Because Johnny, Allen, your homeboys had Ice-T on the wall, had Ice Cube on the wall, NWA on the wall. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Right along with public enemy. So we said, oh, 
Okay. We see how this thing is working out. So it was the powers that be. All right, that did that did public enemy in. Like, oh, okay. Did you see it start to change though? Where like where you start getting not and, and Tupac and Notorious B.I.G. are obviously wonderful artists, but did you see a shift to them and a, a kind of moving away from Public Enemy, or were you included in that whole thing? No, I think we, you know, I think we were cut from a different cloth. You're talking about now that generation that came behind us. When you talk about the Biggies and the Tupac, you understand what I'm saying? So we were the ones to usher in this whole idea of conscious rap, conscious hip-hop, consciousness. Um, although we were working we were working hand-in-hand um, hand with everyone, a lot of people that just weren't quote-unquote conscious, they just told real stories through their rhymes. You understand what I'm saying? Right. But when Public Enemy came along, we pointed to organizations, we pointed to books, we pointed to authors, we pointed to movements. We pointed to local domestic situations and foreign situations. Um, um, so Public Enemy was a well-rounded, uh, had some well-rounded conscious information that we were putting in the music and we talked about outside of the music. When, when, what was your experience like? What was it like to be in Public Enemy at the height of, of its fame? You know, I know. dangerous. How is it dangerous? <laughs> you mean to tell me, man, here we are, some brothers from Long Island, New York, speaking truth to power, start talking right to skinheads, right to the Klan, right to white America. Man, come on, man. Come on. And then you had Flavor Flav, and he was kind of, like, different than you, right? He, you guys had different vibes or different energy. You know, he was he was smoking crack. I mean... Was it weird? Was that hard? No, nah, that wasn't weird and wasn't hard simply because we know what white America has done to black people and we know that was flavor flavor the end result. So we white America have always put drugs in the black community. I can go through the history of music right now and name twelve jazz artists right up the top of my head that ended up on drugs. Do you understand what I'm saying? So not, if it wasn't the jazz artists, um it was the basketball, football and baseball players. If it wasn't if it wasn't uh, if it wasn't them, it was it was the hip hop heads. So it's, it's always been there. So when I seen it in my own group, I was like, okay, this is something we have to deal with internally and deal with it. So it wasn't it wasn't hard. I knew what it was, but we had energy, we had time, we were younger, this it was new, and we didn't quite understand everything at that particular time. Including how to deal with slave slaves. I, I, the first time I saw Public Enemy, I, it was um, early 2000s. It was at the House of Blues in Los Angeles. And it was such an interesting dynamic because you guys were just slaying the room. And then the, I, there's a moment in the concert where um, kind of Flavor Flav gets some time on his own. And he gets to do his own thing. And he yeah. he just came out with a statue of O.J. Simpson and was uh, asking everybody to forgive O.J. because O.J. had uh, rushed for mad yards in the NFL. And uh, he was kind of uh, – it was just a different vibe from the rest of the concert. Was there a moment where you're like, 
where kind of internally there was a discussion of like, are we going to let Flavor Flav be Flavor Flav? Should we do any kind of intervention? Because like as a comedian, I'm going to be honest with you, we have to do interventions on comedians for substance abuse all the time. Including st- stuff that's been done to myself. I've had a coke problem, speed, uh, uh, drinking. I've had interventions where I've had to get my own, get out of my own way. Was there any moment that you guys felt like you had to do that? Oh man, there was four or five of those moments. Some of them end up violent. Some of them end up, you know, good feelings to this day. You know that thing? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. Yep, it's rough. That's some bullshit. Right. That's some bullshit. Words always harm you. Right now, to this day, Flavor Flav probably hates my guts for what was said and what was done at that particular period in Public Enemy. Us having to deal with the whole drug thing, having to intervene. You understand what I'm saying? And um, a lot of times people don't look at that as help. They look at that as you trying to destroy them, and that's not the case, man. So it had to be some tough love. But I'm hated for that right now as we speak by a few members of public enemy. Was it, I mean, like, you know, I got a couple notes from the gentleman that's nice enough to hook us up. And he was talking about the moment that, you know, you were asked to leave the band. That had to be a, a, a hard, hard situation because you'd worked so hard to help build this thing up. And, you know, Flavor Flav is doing Flavor Flav. And you've been kicked out for, I believe it was some comments you made. What was that moment like? Wow. Um, yeah, that's a very serious question, man. That 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 moment was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> yeah, I saw, I don't know, I saw a traitor. I saw a traitor in act at that time. It was just like, wow, these cats don't really understand what this is really about. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, um, I do. We, we came up at a time where it was like, you know, if we sell out, we get the hell out. Um, this is all for the people and not for us. So to get rid of me, the spirit and the driving force to it, I was like, wow, this has never been about being some popular rappers. That shit is corny, man. This shit was about the human family, including brothers like you. This was about our people, man. This wasn't about being popular, getting money, getting chicks, getting drugs. Yeah, this was about doing something for the human family. So to kick me out of the group when all I did was tell the truth, yeah, I thought that was a, a traitorous violation, man. When like, well, I believe really? it had some comments with white people in caves. We won't get into the specifics of that. Well, well, you might you might as well get into the specifics of, of specifics of that because the fucking History Channel does, the Discovery Channel does when it tells the history of white people. I'm down with talking about it if you want. I don't want to get you, ain't, you know. Colored, I ain't got colored slides and fucking theme music behind my shit though. But it's the same shit <laughs> about caves so and stuff like that and. Like when you said that, was that the first time you'd said that, or is that been said a bunch of times? And then for some reason, now it's like it blew up, and you're like, "Why is it now?" You know, as a comedian, I say a lot of shit, and I, I, I believe as an artist, we should be able to express everything we want. 
and everybody's for the First Amendment, even though that's about the government, a government arresting you for protesting government shit. But the freedom of expression, we're all for freedom of expression until we hear something we don't like. And I think that's really stupid. Like, I'm an Armenian, okay? And I live in L.A. And I every day, there's someone making jokes about what assholes Armos are. You know, um, I, and I, I will defend their right to say these things until I, to the end of that, until I take my last breath. Because it's not about people, not, it's not about freedom of expression of things I like. It's actually about defending things I don't like. That's when you have to defend that. So, is, so this moment that people were coming after you, was that something you'd said all the time and why are we getting mad right now? Or was that just being used as a tool to try to take down public enemy? No, no, no. This is, this, is, uh, this is part of the history and the teachings of the most honorable Elijah Muhammad. It's not something that Professor Griffin made up. And to answer your question directly, I've said that 80 times before. To all kind of magazines and all kind of people, black, white, whomever, because it's the truth. And I've asked people that if you don't like the truth, then sit down and dialogue about what was said as opposed to you sticking your lap dogs on me. And some of the ones, some of the lap dogs are black. So you mean to tell me you attack me for saying the same fucking thing that the Discovery Channel is saying today? I said white people in their early history, right, used to drink out of the skulls of their dead, used to mate with dogs, used to have sex with animals in the caves of, of West Asia, which they now call it Europe, in the Caucasus Mountains. That's not some Professor Griff made up. Because I hate white people. That's something that's in the history books. Written by white people. I didn't make that up. Now why would you take that and use that to try to destroy public enemy? When all I did was tell the truth. And I think I got my last $100 bill in my wallet right now. I'll pay it to anybody that want to call me and prove me wrong. My phone number is 678-557-2919. Damn. It's not some shit I made up. This is actual facts. But yeah. because I said it in an interview that some some black man, Negro, wanted to repeat to the village voice and some weak knee Negroes in public enemy couldn't defend because they fucking cowards, that ain't on me. That's on them. They got to check their heart, not mine. I spoke the truth. And I speak the truth to this damn day. I've seen this in com- comedy, dude. We had a, a gentleman say some off-color comments, and all these comics who are supposed to be these, who've tweet after tweet, rallying against political correctness, are calling for these people's jobs. And it's just like, and there's like, well, you know, it's like when LeBron James talking about free freedom of speech, and then he defends the Chinese government, you know, and... Listen, dude, I mean, the Chinese, I mean, the NBA has told us we have to support women, which I do, but then they're running to take it in the ass from China, who's killed more baby girls than more than all everybody ever lost in any war in history. I mean, it's like we see these picking of choosing of when it's cool to be pro-freedom of speech, and then when a dollar sign is being fucked with, people run. Now... You know, I I love Public Enemy, and I, I and I I love you, Evan. Not having you on, I, mean, I I still follow you know Chuck D. But I see shit like that going on right now, 
uh, in comedy right now. We see political correctness and people being taken out for saying shit that's that even like even though like we have something with the crazy rich Asian crowd uh, cast getting mad at a joke a guy made on a podcast. When all of them are millionaires and all that stuff, they use it to kind of try to relate to, uh, you know, uh, the the base of their their fan base, and it's it's kind of sad because everybody wants freedom of expression until you know until they get a little uncomfortable. It's like no, that's when you need freedom of expression. We see right now with Julian Assange being uh, arrested right now, and, and no one in the media is defending this guy in the media for expo- for exposing war crimes that the U.S. military did. Right. So, so I'm saying to you, when are we going to be brave enough to stand up for the truth? I am one individual out of a long history of individuals in this country, both black and white, that have stood up and told the truth. And I got to pay for it with my life. I got to get shot at. I got to get poisoned. I got to get destroyed in the music industry. And they use black people to do this. And still to this day. No one will say to me face-to-face, man-to-man, what you said about white people back then, you were absolutely wrong, and here is the proof. When someone does that, I'll apologize, and I'll be quiet. I think everything you said is 100% true. I mean, 100% true. I I didn't make it. I just told the history. I got got Michael Bradley's books in my library. I've got other people's books that tell the history of white people in Europe in the early beginnings. I watched the movie Quest for Fire. I've done a research. I sat at the feet of elders. I studied this and I watched the History Channel and the Discovery Channel. So if you want to blame somebody, let's blame them. But I'm going to continue to tell the truth, regardless. The but truth. It cost me my life. And hurts. you know something? It just might cost me my damn life. But I'm good with that. I'm yeah. good with that. I ain't afraid to die in that hill, Doc, you know? So here's what I want to say. So we have, so we see it, in my opinion, and I understand it could represent the streets, but I see a change in music from uplifting to gangster rap criminal culture, the the degrading of women, the romanticizing of being a thug, dumbing down listeners. That's systematic, right? Of course, yes. It's, it's, yes. It's by design. It's systematic. It's systemic, yeah. And who, uh, uh, you know, and at the very top, now we're seeing in hip-hop right now, Illuminati, dark art symbols, what they used to talk about, metal, the worshiping of Satan. We had a shot, the devil, all that stuff. You're now starting to see it rampant in in hip-hop. A lot of these young guys are just doing all sorts of dark arts, Black Cuba Saturn imagery in their music. Uh, I don't know if it's always been like that, but it seems very... Pre- I, I feel like hip-hop right now is where metal was in the 80s, where it's like a lot... Like Beyonce, we see a lot of dark arts. I mean, Lady Gaga is is more pop than hip-hop. We see she's got dark art symbolism. What's going on with that? I think it's always been there, but it's been controlled and manipulated by those that was casting the spells and manipulating and controlling our spirit and our mind. This is why they didn't want punk rock on the scene, because punk came along and broke all that up. Hip-hop came along and broke all of that up and started to expose it. 
So then, then they had to get a con- control back over it, and then they started manufacturing some of these uh, these, these these rappers and um, and paying them ugu globs of money to push a certain agenda. And you can see right now on the surface what agenda they're pushing. It's unbelievable. Now, a, lot of, a lot of a lot of the artists that you mentioned may not have been aware that they were being used. Jay Z and Beyonce, I'm not sure if they was aware that they were being used early on. Kanye West, I'm not sure. You understand what I'm saying? A lot of a lot of these artists, uh, Lady Gaga and these other artists, I'm not sure if they was even aware of the demonic, satanic agenda that was going on in the music early on. But when it started to become exposed, and we made them aware of it, at that particular point, they had a decision to make, and some of them choose chose to ride with Satan. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Who, in your opinion, is the Illuminati and the New World Order? I mean, for me to sit here on this program and say to you, the Illuminati is Mr. So-and-so and so-and-so that works at so-and-so on the second shift, I'd be bullshitting you. The Illuminati, the Illuminated Ones, as they call themselves, it's a secret society. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. Operating behind the educational system, political system, the uh, uh, system, the religious system, that's operating in the shadows. We don't know their names. Now, we may know some of the families. We may uh, know the overall agenda, but the individuals, I can't tell you that. It's not like I go to the goddamn meetings. I can't be I can't be part of the Illuminati. You can't either. Well, I just got something on Instagram asking me to inv- you ever get those things on Instagram where they're like, "Would you like to join the Illuminati?" I go, "You're not much yeah. of a secret society if you're asking asking me to join on Instagram in my DMs, you know?" Right. Or you're sending a letter in the mail asking to join the Illuminati. That's that's not yeah, that's not that's not secret and that's not hidden. Hmm. No, that's some that's some garbage, some play play stuff. <laughs> Well, tell me uh, now. I we don't know who runs the world. We were, I did a podcast really. I think I think um, the the running the world is like organized crime, where there's like there's the Italian you know organization, there's the Irish, and they all have their turf, okay, and um, they work together when it's mutually beneficial, and then they don't work together when or they go to war when they have a problem with each other. Uh, you know, I think there's multiple groups that all work together, whether it's the Freemasons, the Illuminati, the, uh, you know, the 13 Bloodlines, uh, Black Nobility. There's all these different groups. Uh, there's three different cities in the world that are part of no uh, actual country. They're their own sovereign area. Those are uh, uh, the, the Vatican. Vatican, the City of London, which very people... Very few people know. And then there's one more, and there's always an argument about where it is. Is it D.C. or is it the U.N.? I was told it was the U.N. The U.N. is not part of the United States. It's its own sovereign territory. It pays no taxes and follows no laws. All Think about it. All of their diplomats have diplomat immunity, which allows them basically to do anything they want, almost up until including murder, and not be charged. Can you, do you know anything about these areas? Yes, of course. I wrote them. I wrote about them in my book, the psychological covert, the psychological covert war on hip hop, 
And then I, I reiterated it in my book, Symbology. Um, and it talked about the three city-states, which is the Vatican, which is London, and of course, which is the District of Columbia. Not Washington, D.C., but the District of Columbia, D.C. Ah, okay. Oh, yeah, and then they always act like D.C. is, oh, man, we need to be a state. You're like, oh, you don't want to be a state, really. You're just kind of saying that so that people feel bad. And in reality, you're just your own sovereign area. Right, exactly. So, of course, you the U.N. in that area in New York has that status also. But the three city states are the ones I just mentioned, the Vatican, London, and the District of Columbia. So the city of London, the Vatican, and uh, uh, D.C., all, in my opinion, the U.N.'s in there, all represent, each represents a different thing. And what it represents is the Vatican represents religion. The city of London represents banking, money. And then the U.N. and the D.C. represents what? Military. Right. Those are the three ways you can you control everybody. All you know, that's how they use it. Now, I don't know if they are all run by the same people, but they all have an obelisk outside of it, which is almost like a, a symbol to say, "Hey, this is our, our uh, this is where this is our area. Don't fuck with us." <laughs> but they all represent. Like nobody knows about the city of London. And like, well, I think they, we shouldn't say no one. Oh uh, yeah, well, no, one, I no one with the mindset truly knows about what goes on in the city of London. The city of London is so crazy because the Queen yeah. Elizabeth has to. Queen Elizabeth has to. Um, she has to ask for permission to enter the city of London, and that chick is super high on the power scale. Top notch. She well, obviously not. She has to ask for permission. But for her, exactly. Then who do you got to be? Right, exactly. who's not asking for permission? <laughs> who she got? Who she have to ask? <laughs> the, they, she has to ask the mayor of the city of London. Now, there's London. There's the city. There's London, and then within London, there is the city of London. It right. is not part of England. It is its own sovereign nation. For right. Queen Elizabeth, she has to. She has to ask permission to go into the city of London. Like that to me says something's going on. And what people don't realize is the city of London is the home of all the banks. All the banking's there. And this is how right. they slay. This is how they, 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 they basically control us through this fractional reserve banking where they make up, you know, it's like the IRS is not part of the U.S. government. It's in the yeah, it's basically an independent company that's part of um, the Treasury, which is part of the uh, Federal Reserve, which is nothing's federal about the Federal Reserve. It is a control mechanism to control us. Exactly. This is one of the reasons why I'm headed to Cambridge. I'm headed to the Boston area on November 5th because... To know all of this and then to sit idly by and act like it's not happening, it's like, no, silence is no excuse. Silence is no excuse. 
if you know better, then you do better. And I'm just sounding the alarm, letting people know these are the things that's going on domestically, and here's what's going on on the foreign scene. And we and we have to and we have to take some responsibility um, as to what's as to what's what's going on. So let me ask you something. We recently saw, you know, with the Colin Kaepernick thing, and I I I believe that what he's doing, what he did, was his right of freedom of expression. He has the right to do that. Corporations right. and jobs also have the right to be like, we don't want our employees doing that. But let's let's take a step away from that. And let's look at like who the owners are. Let's take a look at who Nike is. As Nike puts out, you know, this Kaepernick campaign. And it's like, uh, believe in something, even if it costs you everything. <laughs> and you're like, that's great, Nike. But you, you have sweatshops in which you pay third world children and women and men no money to make your sneakers that you turn around and charge children in the inner city $200 to buy. At what point is, uh, 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 where, where's this righteousness when it comes to that? And then you take a look at who the owners of these NFL teams are. And what they are, they're, they're bankers, they're big pharmaceutical, they're oil men. They're white. They're white. Yeah, they go to massage parlors, you know. They, they <laughs> love to get us fighting all the time. So, in my opinion, the NFL to them is their side bitch. They're making, that's, that's peanuts to them. Because these guys yeah. are making real money in gods. Gold, oil, drugs, sex trafficking. Yep. So, exactly. Kyle, go on. Sorry about that. No, no, no. I was saying, I was agreeing with you exactly. Because these are the same things that I wrote in, in my book. And we just have that. They get, you know, Kaepernick, I respect everything you said, you know, because we were, we were happy. You know, it's so interesting, Professor, is how all these people were so upset about cops shooting unarmed black men. And we should be. We should be mad at cops shooting anyone who's unarmed that isn't a threat. Okay? But yet these are the same people who are suddenly telling you, we got to give up our guns. Thus, the only people having them are the cops who are right. shooting the unarmed people. Right. No, that's definitely not going to go down. That's not happening. Not on my watch. <laughs> <laughs> so, no. but, but I bring this all up is that now we've seen Jay-Z, the guy who is completely supporting Kaepernick, now joining the, the, the owners of these NFL teams Signaling that it's all over, that the 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 protests are done, because Jay Z says it's done. Why is Jay Z joining the these rich white billionaires and trying to tell everybody the controversy's over? What was mm. your thoughts on that, Professor? I got a whole bunch of thoughts about that, man. But <laughs> I did an I did an entire uh, show. I'm just trying to figure out, you know, um. What did they offer him to make a statement like that, to take a position like that? I wonder. You know, so it basically says, you know, the golden rule. He who has the goal makes the rule. Yeah. So, you understand what I'm saying? A he who calls, he who has, who, who, or he who calls a tune normally is the one that makes the instruments and everything else. 
<laughs> and they don't allow anyone to play. He who calls the tune, who are normally the ones leading the people. You understand what I'm saying? So since they've set Jay-Z up in a position where they've made him the leader of black people, on um, which Jay-Z is not our leader, you can't ask 10 people if Jay-Z is your, uh, black people's leader. Absolutely not. Jay-Z makes music, period. End of the story, an ex-drug dealer. So it's like, come on, man. Nah, you're no one to determine when the protest stops or starts, Jay-Z. No, but you're doing white people's bidding, and we understand your position. Man. So basically, you're the first one we got to come see when this shit jump off. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, later on uh, through uh, document release, and I'm going to get back to Jay-Z, but I wonder, you know, is Jay-Z allow, along the lines of uh, Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson, where later on we uh, see documents coming out that they're basically FBI assets and that, uh, you know, Jesse Jackson was there on the balcony when he, uh, when uh, Martin Luther King gets shot and, and you see the picture, and I'm not trying to laugh at it, but it's like, J- everybody else is ducking except for Jesse Jackson. Right. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. how this guy gets sent to jail. Go on, sorry. He was, complicit. he was complicit along with the United States government. And I think like Jay-Z is complicit in helping to destroy the fiber of black people by working with these billionaires to set himself up in a position to keep us blind, deaf, and dumb. Jay-Z knows exactly what he's doing. And there's a lot of things right now, like, I mean, we've been talking about these Illuminati symbols that we've been seeing a lot now in these videos. I get sent all the time, like, in these videos. And, like, now, do you believe that artists take, like, an oath to the Illuminati or whatever group it is? Uh, we see their, their, their behaviors change. Like, sometimes their tattoos look different, you know? I mean... We see Jay Z quoting Aleister Crowley. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think one thing is they cannot be a part of the Illuminati, but I think they're carrying up the agenda. And I think Jay Z, Beyonce, Kanye, and the rest of them know that they're being used. Especially now, this is almost 2020. We put together enough material, and we've given them enough material to let them know and uh, to make them awake and aware of what's going on. Everything from Adam Weissart right on down to what's going on with Trump. Jay-Z and Kanye West, Beyonce and the rest of them, they know already. They consciously know what they're doing now. I think before they were doing it out of ignorance. But I think they consciously know what's going on now. Now, you've seen uh, where, uh, I don't know if you know this, or have been following, like, former NFL running back Larry Johnson has been going really <laughs> hard on uh, the influence of the Illuminati in sports and how people like LeBron James are being used as pawns and playing the game, you know, showing up for Hillary Clinton and supporting her when Bill Clinton signed the 1994 crime bill that made a nugget of crack basically the same offense as a helicopter of cocaine. And he should know about helicopters of cocaine because that's where they were shipping all the coke into was Arkansas for the whole Iran-Contra affair. Uh, exactly. And now he's meeting with her. Do you see it being in, in, in pro sports where you have to have a certain degree of athleticism and skill to be able to get to? Do they reach them too? 
Of course. They're, I mean, listen, these people have spun a very sophisticated web. And it's almost like, you've, uh, have you ever heard of the book called The Octopus? Yes. Their tentacles, their tentacles reach out in every sphere of people activity. So LeBron James is not safe. The Michael Jacksons were never safe, regardless of how much money you had. These people are not safe. Once they're done with them, they'll find some scandal about them and destroy them also. Do you see that? <laughs> um, do we? I also see that when these guys kind of play ball, you know, within, you know, with, you know, when you like in YouTube has scandals where they have basically, uh, you know, corporate America kitty porn uh, on there and the videos and the channels don't get taken down. I think they leave them up there because they follow the people who comment and they follow their comments and they start sniffing into these guys' lives and they start finding out these guys could be assets and then they set them up in certain positions and they blackmail them into playing ball. Do you think that happens in uh, music where it's like Michael Jackson... There's some people don't think he's a pedophile. I think he was. My girlfriend worked on his uh, his uh, music videos, and they found Tiger Beat magazines in his <laughs> his green room. Um, do you think they use this to basically pick who's going to blow up, who's going to be huge, because they have dirt on them, so they could do their biddings? Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's just like the history and the story of the Illuminati. They don't have things on you to keep you in check. Plain and simple. I mean, it's not it's not new. It's an old trick. And I don't know why we fell for the trick. Maybe because we think Michael Jackson and other people are Kelly and other people are so important that, you know, they're beyond reproach and they're not. And and the Illuminati, these people that work and carry out the agenda of the Illuminati, they know exactly what they're doing and who to choose. It's they wouldn't choose anybody like me because my spirit won't allow it. <laughs> I'm too much of a radical. I'm too much I'm too militant. Yep, me I'm, too. I'm too headstrong. <laughs> I talk too I, much I, shit. I don't have the propensity to be used. I don't have that character. Let me ask you something, man. Um, do you think that almost everybody at the... We've had former CIA... We've had reporters who have done major studies on the CIA, and they're like, in this day and age, and... Any business at the highest levels, they're all CIA assets. <laughs> to answer that very forthrightly and directly, you know, there's a certain oath that all of these alphabet boys take. So it's a little bit more than you just filling out an application and you joining the CIA or the FBI. That's a brotherhood. And we have to understand what the brotherhood is about. If you catch my drift. I do. Okay. Oh, here we go. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah. Look at all that. Damn. God. So there's symbolism. There's everything in a... a, a I mean, there's so so much symbolism, whether it's in our in music videos. We see it in like symbolism in our dollar bills, symbolism in logos. Like it's everywhere, right? I mean, it's crazy. I see pedophile symbols in so much shit. It's unbelievable. I saw one today. 
uh, down in Hermosa Beach. There's yeah. one that this rapper has something coming out. The eyeballs are the symbolism that the FBI says for boy love. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about that whole, all that trap music they got going on with everybody tatting their faces and all that promethazine and all that vaping? Is that part of like the government trying to push it for kids to do the same shit as in the 90s? I don't think it's, it's, it's necessarily government. It's just some ignorant ass motherfuckers thinking, I don't know what the hell they're thinking. You understand what I'm saying? I'm sure the government has its hand in there somewhere because the mere fact that you're calling your music trap. Yeah, it's trapping. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who comes up with these names? No, and they'll sit there and they say they sell. They talk about selling drugs and all this, and I'm like, you're kind of incriminating yourself when you do get caught with it. And then they have to rat out their people. <laughs> oh, six, yeah, exactly, but uh, you got to understand they they bringing these these songs into court now, and they're typing out lyrics and they're transcribing stuff, and it's like, wow. So you said you didn't kill these five people and bring in this boatload of drugs, but you said it on your song. Yep. Yeah, and and you played it out in your video, and you—it's like, come on, man, come on. We have uh, seen a, uh, uh, we've seen lately like a lot of rappers dying, getting shot, killed. I mean, back in the day, obviously everybody knows about Tupac and yeah. Biggie, and that happened. But lately, it seems like there's a lot going on. Yeah, Nipsey. We've yeah, and then there's a lot of talk about you know. If you go off the reservation, meaning if they get you, they set you up, they pick you, they give you all the pipeline to the best studios, the best, you know, um, uh, uh, cocaine, best, well, not even that, just the, the best, you know, the, uh, artists to mix all your music, the, studios, best everything. The, the best, everything, the, you know, the best opportunities to get exposure, whether it's on MTV or, or, or uh, whatever magazine it is. And then eventually you see people trying to go off the reservation, do their stuff independently. And there's a bunch of people who tried to do that. And then they get offed. What do you think it's, it is going on with that? They've lived out their usefulness. Usefulness. They've been targeted. They've been fingered. They've been called in, <laughs> whether they made the deal or not. And then they live out their usefulness. And they have no more use for these people, so they do away them, away with them. Michael Jackson and the rest of them. Yeah, like the, um, uh, what's his name, that Tom Cruise movie, uh, American Made? Remember that? That they just like save these guys up as like little bank accounts, and they go and take their right. money and arrest them. And like, look, we got somebody. It's like a cover story. Right. Well, that's the whole same, thing. Same trick. I mean, now you see some assassination of people who've no longer been with us. We've we've seen this rumor going around about MLK and some him being audio of him laughing while girls getting a woman's getting raped. I'm like. What is that about, man? You, you saw the same thing with Gandhi now, how there's been this push because Gandhi liked to bang hookers. It's all <laughs> my theory that they demonize sex so they can blackmail people. Um, when you heard about, the, I don't know if you heard about how they said there's this tape of MLK out there. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, I've heard it. And, um, but that, that kind, those kind of tricks are all, you see, I'm used to the tricks. Even with the deep fake, the deep fake things that they have out there now. See, I'm so used to the trick, I don't fall for it anymore. 
you're not going to get me to believe that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was doing X, Y, and Z while somebody was getting raped or Gandhi was screwing prostitutes. Like, I think it's the people that are setting these things in motion that are putting these things and trying to manipulate and control the present by controlling the past, all right, and, and by default, ended up controlling everyone's future. So I don't fall for the tricks anymore. I understand what they are and their tricks and their old tricks, and they've been used for a long, 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 long time. It's like um, I loved women all my life. There was a rumor several years ago that Professor Rick was gay. I'm like, okay. There was a rumor that I was cloned. <laughs> there was a rumor that I, yeah, I'm serious. It's so, so, so who y'all talking to now is the cloned professor. <laughs> the first clones we've had on. I don't know. I don't, How do you I, know I, that? I don't fall for the tricks, man. I don't, I don't fall for the tricks. What are, you, what are your thoughts on clones? We hear that a lot with our rappers. We hear it a lot with, like, everyone's Dave Chappelle's a clone. You know. The Rock. Uh, well, you never hear the theory that like Kevin Hart crashes his. So, so Jack Black is talking about how Jumanji did so good that they're gonna do a special, and that even if everybody on there didn't want to do it, they would kidnap them, kill them, and clone them. <laughs> <laughs> and now you have this thing with Kevin Hart where he crashes his car, and the story's so fucking nuts, right? And like now, <clears throat> like Kevin Hart. He, like, he's in that Taylor Swift level where you're like, you're not really a person anymore. I mean, you are, but you're a brand. And your your brand is bigger than you are. And you're making a lot of people a lot of money. It's like, why did Hollywood get away from super fat actors? Because they would build this brand up and these guys would have heart attacks and now they'd have to build it up. So now they want Jack Black fat, which is like kind of skinny fat. Or they, or they try to get skinny. Every fat person, every fat rich person tries and to get skinny. And it never Nobody works. Nobody likes yeah. skinny yeah, Jonah exactly. Hill. No. Yeah. Right? But you see this thing about, you know, all these videos, like all these stories about Kevin Hart banging all these chicks. And it's like, you're a family brand. Like, people go there with their family to watch your movies. And now all this crazy stuff, like, where's Kevin Hart? Oh, he's fine now. He's walking. But where are all the... Do you believe that they get clones of people? I believe some people are cloned, yes. I, I, I'd be lying if I say I didn't, quote, unquote, um, believe that. And when I say belief, I don't like to use the term belief. I have studied the science on how they do it and and the progress that they have made. Uh, I don't think the average person is being cloned. But, like, uh, rap, you know, we've seen pictures of rappers, and they come out, and their tattoos aren't the same. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that stuff's weird. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen it. Yeah. Okay. Now, body doubles, yeah, cloned, no. Interesting. I mean, but that's inevitable, right? I mean, China's already messing with hybrid. Like, that stuff, I mean, if it's not happening now, it's going to happen 20 years. Uh, I mean, minimum. you don't get the super wild from it anymore. It's almost like if you do any degree of studying, then you know what it is. It's deep. <laughs> so... We, we've seen the CIA take out giant political leaders, in particular in the black community. Uh, it is your belief, and I'd love to hear a little about how um, you believe that it's possible or it's your belief that MK, MLK was killed in a, uh, uh, an assassination ritual. Yeah, 
Yeah, of course. In an assassination ritual. Um, it's not something I believe. It's something I can prove. Okay. It's way beyond, way beyond belief. Um, there were players, there were players several years ago that were still alive that we could have talked to to disprove uh, this information that, you know, it was just a lone gunman. That, I mean, shit, you can watch the average Discovery Channel show. Fuck, tell you that. The ID channel will tell you that. That's not complicated anymore. It's not confusing anymore. The cat is out of the bag. The United States government already admitted to complicity in the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Why is that? That's not even a conversation anymore. The cat's been out of the bag. If people are still wondering how Dr. Martin Luther King died, then, yeah, good fucking luck, man. you way behind the fucking eight ball. <laughs> so... There's a whole, the, the, the story goes is that Quincy Jones allegedly, I got to say allegedly for, for some reason, but allegedly asked Tupac to join him in a homosexual ritual. Tupac turned him down and that marked him for death. And he comes out of the uh, uh, jail with an album called Kill Illuminati. Uh, what is your thoughts on that? Allegedly? <laughs> <laughs> we got to say that legally. <laughs> well, allegedly, there's about eight other people that we could talk to that Quincy Jones probably made that same proposition to. So come on, man. God, come on. These fucking sex rings in Hollywood, in the music industry, and in the film industry, it's not a secret anymore. This is not a secret anymore. I don't even see why people are still surprised when the whole casting couch thing came and the Me Too movement was born and all that shit. They been away from little fucking girls. Fuck. I said that shit years ago. They been away from little boys. They been away from them. And, uh, you know, there's some stuff going on right now. I can't get into it, but I, you know, that... I felt like this Me Too movement was a giant CIA, uh, you know, psyop done to get people to fight with each other, pushed by white women in Hollywood who are born on third base, act, bitching about how they can't hit home runs, okay? Yet these same people tell us how bad Hollywood is, right? Meaning these women, not you, but these women, uh, never speak up when pedophilia comes out. What's your thoughts on that? I mean, my thing is, let's be fair right across the board, which we know they're incapable of being fair. So then if the Me Too movement is so fucking Me Too, how come they don't go after the pedophile priests in the Catholic Church? I mean, they don't go after any pedophiles, man. I feel like only low-level, poor pedos go to jail as an act like, oh, look, we got these pedos. At the highest levels, I don't think they do anything. I mean, Penn State didn't lose... One minute of football. <laughs> that's why Epstein blew right. up because he was the only rich guy that got caught up. Yeah. Name someone yeah, else that's exactly. rich. I mean, like, dude, Subway destroyed Quiznos. <laughs> I mean, I, I see what you're saying, but my thing is, if we're going to lock people up, then let's lock everybody up. I don't see none of these Catholic priests going to jail. Yeah. You might have one or two they're sacrificial lambs, like Bill Cosby was a sacrificial lamb. Oh shit! And he's probably not going to do all this time. Um, right across the board, I think they use these kind of organizations because they're the ones that give birth to them. 
And they're the ones that set the people in front of the organization to lead and guide the organization so they can use the organization like the Me Too movement to do what they do. <clears throat> and right now, they already know who they're coming after and who they want to lock up. Yeah. You know, so I mean... If, if a few people get in the way, I feel sorry for them. If the, uh, if the R. Kelly's get in the way, if the <laughs> Nelly's get in the way... <laughs> oh, Nelly? The, uh, you know... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh oh. Right. I've never heard that. So Nelly. I wanted. Um. I want to. As we're we've got a couple more minutes left, I wanted to talk to you about uh, your benefit you're doing for Yemen on November fifth. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, there's a couple of companies in in America, along with um, mainly one, uh, Raytheon, along with a couple a couple of other companies that do business with the United States government as far as military weapons, making bombs, and, and other things. And we're just basically bringing attention to the foreign and domestic policies of the United States government. We're letting them know that we're not going to just sit idly by while you send your drones drones to bomb other, other innocent people in innocent countries, especially when those bombs are being made right here in the United States. So we're going to speak up, and we're going to speak out. Plain and simple. And that day we're going to name some of the names. I, I, so it's happening Tuesday, November 5th at 7 p.m. at Middle East, upstairs at Middle East, um, right there in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I mean, like, dude, everybody's yelling about the Kurds and the, it's super sad about Syria. And Syria is all about a pipeline. Nobody gives a shit about gassing people. By the way, everyone's all mad about the uh, the Syrian government <laughs> using chemical weapons, which was disproven over and over again. What about Agent Orange in Vietnam? What about chemtrails in the United States? Always, 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 over and over again. We've seen the U.S. government use chemical weapons against their own people. It's, right. it's unbelievable. This Syrian thing is all about a pipeline. It has nothing to do with giving a shit about chemical weapons. I mean, Professor Griff, I want to ask you, how come I haven't heard anybody in the hip-hop community going off on Hillary and Obama about the illegal assassination of Muammar Gaddafi, which has led to open-air slave trades in Libya? That doesn't seem to be an issue. It doesn't seem to be a lot of foreign issues don't seem to be an issue when you are made to believe that the person that's coming behind them are a lot more evil and a lot, a lot more dangerous to the black community, i.e. Um, Donald Trump. You understand what I'm saying? Keep your eye on uh, uh, certain individuals while people like Barack Obama, um, um, which is the, he's called the drone warrior who dropped more bombs and did more service, disservice to black people along with the Clintons. So all the way around, black and white people, we need to raise our vibrational pitch and we need to be a lot more studious, man. And we need to have these conversations daily because they pull the wool over our eyes. So I'm going to ask you a question and I can understand if you tell me go fuck myself. <laughs> I'll respect that. But I want, do you believe in PSYOPs? Of course. I'm going to ask you a question, and, and I might not, it might not be my place to ask this question, but I'm going to ask this question. Within this country, we have 
a word that drives people into this into this thing, and it's the N-word. And the N-word was used a long time ago by white slave owners to t- discuss sla- black slaves in America. And over time, somehow this word made its way into black culture, and it's a word that people call each other in the black community. It's along the line, I've been told, as dude. And then, the, and then if white people today use it, People lose their skulls. I in no way say I should ever have the right to say it. But I wonder if it's not at some deep and some really high level that that was in in some think tank at some point. That word was put out through this system of control so that one group says it and then the other group doesn't. And this other group, if they say it, all hell breaks out. I do not want to say the word. It's not something that I, I, I want to say it. I would like to kill the word off because I feel like it is a word that brings a lot of infighting between blacks and whites. I am not in any place in anything, any authority. I am asking you, do you think there is anything to this that it could be a psyop as a tool to use to get us to fight with each other? And if I've stepped out of my way, I will take that. I stepped overstep my reach. I'll, I'll take that L as well. But I, I would like to ask you that. Well, I truly uh, are one of the ones that have, I have dialogue about everything under the sun. It is impossible to kill the word if we can't openly discuss the word. So I think in these kind of forums, we have to be able to be allowed to at least discuss the the word, the implications of the word, the historical significance of the word. Uh, how they plan to, how they're using it in these psychological operations uh, now and in the future. So you're not overstepping your boundaries. As, as, far, as, as a matter of fact, you're probably one of the brave ones that dare to speak up about the situation to at least have some discussion about it so we can at least instruct some people on how to deal with it and to, to deal with the behavior surrounding the word. There are certain words that you can't use to Jewish people. There are certain words that you can't use in, in reference to Italian people. There are certain words that you can't use. Gay people, Irish people, we all have those words. Am I right or wrong? I, I do believe that. I, I just feel that this word, though, seems to resonate more with than all. Like, I don't, I guess if you say the word, yeah, recently we had chink and kike. That, you know, uh, uh, that, but I don't wet feel back, like that. Wetback doesn't even hurt. I, I just like as a, I like when I was a kid, when I was very young, my next door neighbor, Tony, said to me, because I'm half Italian. They go, if anybody ever calls you a WAP, you fight them. And I go, why? He goes, I don't know. <laughs> but you fight. <laughs> Those are the rules, right? But we know why the N word shouldn't be said. But in particular, like I, I just think it's there's a psyop aspect to it. Because it's a word so prevalent on one side and so demonized on the other side. And again, I'm not trying to say that the other side should be allowed to say it. I have a joke where I talk about the three times in my life I have been called the N-word um, in my life by by people, both black and white. Um, but it seems to be the one word that, you know, like, I mean, like women hate the word cunt, but they don't call each other cunts. I don't say like, a lot. They like the word what? Cunt. Women hate the word cunt. 
They hate it. Like C-U-C-U-N-T? Yeah, like see you, or, see you oh, next that's, Tuesday. That's, 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 that's some white people shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's some white people shit. What the fuck? <laughs> but the, the, but the M word is a word that flows, and I know it's with an A and not an ER, and it, it's, it's this weird, and it almost goes back to like the political correctness has so much fine print to it. Do you think you said what 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 has fine print to it? Political correctness. Oh no! Well, you can figure that out real easy. I can take you to a couple of neighborhoods where you can try the ER and the motherfucking A and see what happens. <laughs> no, I know I'm gonna get my ass beat. I know that. I know that. No, I know, but we can we can really figure all that shit out in one trip. So those people that are saying that to you, they're full of shit and they're lying. That any word, whether it's ER or A at the end, is gonna carry the same weight in the hood. Plain Respect. And simple. Respect. I understand that. It's going it's to carry the same weight. You don't find too many of them white people saying that and trying it out now, do you? No, I don't. I don't. I, you know, I, I'm a bit. I, 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 if you're asking me my opinion, I, I, if you say, if you, if I go, if I find 10 random people and I go, how, how many of you hate black people? I would tell you probably none of them will say that. That they uh, that they there are people at very high ends that uh, that are racist, but I think they hate everybody. You know, like someone who would hate Professor Griff is going to hate me too. I'm not allowed in their clubs. And I just think that there's things that they that at the highest levels in these through these think tanks are put out to get us to fight with each other. I do not want to say the M word. I talk about the time Paul Mooney called me the M word. And how, like, as a white guy, I kind of wear it as a badge. And when I banged this chick, she called me the M-word. And I got hooked on it. I'm just being honest with you right now. So uh, I, I, I don't like the M-word. I think it's ugly. I, I'm not trying to tell anybody who should and should not be able to say it. I just wanted to ask you if you thought at a high level there's some dark arts involved in that. And in the M-word and black people calling each other the name that slave owners used to call them. Right. I, right. I, I think I think part of what you're saying is absolutely correct. There's a science behind it. Um, and I think linguistically speaking, being uh, from a people that have, our language have been taken away from us, that name has been put am among us. And to be honest with you, I got called nigga so much for, from white people, I thought that shit was my goddamn name. You understand <laughs> what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 Um, and, and and then to turn around and have black people call black people niggas, I think that's that's out of ignorance because they don't know themselves um, and they're suffering from a psychology of self-hatred and they don't know their history. If they did, they would never call another black person a nigga. Plain and simple. Well, I... I, I, I... My this show is just a tiny show, but these are the conversations I think we need to have because exactly. at my heart and hearts, man, I believe we are more alike than we are different. That that the infighting between and, and dude, I and one hundred percent the history has been one sided, dude, and I have no problems with admitting it and owning it. And but I only think the way. That you know, the, you know, you talk about false flags, and I know about false flags, and we all know false flags happen. But why do false flags happen? Because they need our consent to do certain things. Because we are the power, and th they get us fighting with each other so much. 
and uh, along race when I think a, a, a you know a poor middle class black man and a poor middle class white man have way more in common. Now I'm now obviously there are things that through the history uh, systematic racism that has happened in the legal in the legal system that has been done on purpose to break the, and destroy the black family unit. That's 100% real, dude. But if we, we I feel if Poor whites and poor blacks stop fighting with each other over nothing and start realizing the real power is them coming together, that that is real power. Right, and, right, right. And I, I hope these conversations lead to that. No, no, no. I, I, I think enough of the people having enough of these kind of conversations, they will have, but the right people having the right conversation is the thing. Like the D.O. Euclid's need to have the conversation. I wouldn't say to Steve Harvey, but because he's over the hill, over the fence. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, the right people need to have the right conversation, but we have to be bold enough to have the right conversation. Um, how black people learn how not to use the derogatory terms when it comes to white people, we suffered. We got our ass beat. We think wop or kike or, or whatever. We, we suffered for that financially and we suffered physically. So we had, we had, we had, yeah, we went through it in order to learn those valuable lessons. And I'm sure some white people have went through it physically also and lost some jobs and some, some, uh, and, and led to almost financial ruin from, from using the N word and that kind of thing. But we learned these lessons the hard way simply because we're not bold enough and brave enough to get on here and have an open discussion and conversation about it and put it to rest. I agree, man. Hey, dude, I, I, I appreciate you spending so much time with us today. I appreciate your, your, your honesty and your truth. I want people to know that they can come see you live. Okay. November 5th, Tuesday, November 5th, uh, at middle East upstairs is now, is that, where's that in Boston? That's Cambridge, yeah. Massachusetts, yeah. Cambridge, Massachusetts. You can get tickets at Stop Raython, okay? It's a benefit concert. Tickets are available at TicketWeb.com. The lineup is killer. Diabolic, we want to get them big shugs. Professor Griff, uh, the whole group. It's going to be a, a day to, that because we are complicit in a genocide right now. That's going on big, in big, Yemen. Big Shug. Big Shug is going to be in the building. So it's Black a, Medina, Wolf, like, there's a few other people going to be in, in the building. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you ever make it out, Professor Griff, out to uh, Los Angeles, but if you ever do and you don't, weren't completely weirded out by this interview, <laughs> but we would love to have you uh, in, in studio anytime you could. I appreciate everything you did. We'll, uh, we'll put your um, flyer out on all of our social media, let everybody know. And uh, we appreciate you coming on. Thank and you so much. Get man. his books. All right, Jim, uh, thanks. Really appreciate you guys, all right? I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Good luck with everything, and good luck on November 5th. I hope uh, our listeners all come out in hordes to help you out. All right, take care. Take care. Um, Reed What's Becker. Up? Sorry, couldn't introduce you halfway through oh, the show. Oh, that's all right. No, no. I, I slowly caught on that it was pro- Professor Griff, and I was like, oh, this is, this is great. Awesome. Um, so that was a fun that was a fun conversation, and uh, I think it was necessary. Uh, he did 
He did go out and say some stuff, and it cost him some time in the band. Uh, I, I thought they were back together. I don't know if there's still bad blood because I love Chuck D. Yeah. I hope to have him on the show someday because I do think he's the most underrated uh, front man in the hi- history. The, the whole band was. The whole band is. Yeah, but whole band Chuck is. D is like, like he should be up there with all the whoever you think are the greatest of all times. Uh, he was amazing. Uh, he was a big influence on me when uh, when we were growing up. I mean, that was my age group exactly. So this is great, man. Aaron, I appreciate you letting us go long on this. XG, I appreciate you. Uh, Reed Becker, where can they find you? I know. Oh, you yeah. Can't, can't <laughs> uh, Reed Marshall Becker on Instagram. So yeah, Hi, check man. Out there. You're going to be with us tomorrow night. Yeah. World famous comedy Very store. excited about it. Well, we appreciate you. Oh, yeah. Appreciate of you. Of course. Appreciate you, dude. <laughs> appreciate uh, Aaron. Thank you so much, guys. And we'll see you soon. Take care, everybody.